0: Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for lovers everywhere of the Hebrew Bible. I'm Rosie Candlethal, a PhD candidate in Hebrew Bible at Emory University.
1: And I'm Tim McNinch, also a PhD candidate in Hebrew Bible at Emory University. Our fabulous co-host Dr. Rachel Wren is off this week. Well, Rosie, I know we're usually focused on the Hebrew Bible. But this week, our first reading appears to be in the New Testament and specifically the Acts of the Apostles.
0: That's right, Tim. Uh, We're wading into less familiar waters for a couple of Hebrew Bible folks. Mm -hmm. And that's because throughout the season of Eastertide, uh, a reading from Acts is commonly substituted for the lesson from the Hebrew Bible. So here we are together at the fourth Sunday of Easter, a little more than halfway through this 50-day celebration of living into the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and our first reading this Sunday is Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 44. And it's a beautiful miniature resurrection story in the style of Jesus in some ways, hmm. Um Last week's episode with Dr. Susan Highland, I would highly recommend for listeners who want to hear some more great background on this scene. Dr. Highland uh, addressed the first part of chapter nine verses one through sixteen. and it's it's really helpful. Mm-hmm. The Brickabe we're going to be talking about today uh, involves a dead woman with two names and a history. <laughs>
1: Wow. That sounds intriguing. And and two names? Why the two names?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you asked, right? Um, This detail of the story always interests me uh, because of my own social location, right? Mm. So Acts 9, chapter 36 through 43 introduces us to a female disciple who goes by the name Tabitha among her Aramaic-speaking community and by Dorcas among her Greek-speaking communities. The name means gazelle in both languages. And for those of you that are not familiar with the gazelle, why <laughs> would you be? It's a graceful-looking antelope that I recognize from my toddler's books. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. And any of you who are not familiar with an antelope, that's a graceful-looking gazelle.
0: There we go. <laughs> Right, I'm sure that's helpful. Um, so these first few lines in the pericope of Acts chapter nine, uh, verse thirty six, uh, tells us a lot about Tabitha's social location. Who's also Dorcas? Uh, she's someone who occupies an existence across cultures and across religions. So. Mm-hmm. Aramaic is a Semitic dialect, one which both Tim and I uh, have studied here at Emory. Um, It was the language of commerce and imperial public administration in West Asia from about the sixth century BC to about the seventh century AD. Gradually, it was uh, Aramaic was replacing Hebrew as the language of the Jewish people. So, in the Hebrew Bible, portions of Daniel and Ezra are written in Aramaic, as are portions of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Some of the speech of Jesus, in fact, in the Gospels, is recorded in Aramaic. So. Like many people who live across cultures, Tabitha is also Dorcas, and her names reveal that she is both Jewish and Greek, or at least Greek-speaking. For me, as an Indian-American, I've also got a hyphenated identity. My folks immigrated from India, and even though my siblings and I were born in the U.S., my brother has an American name, which is on all of his official documentation, and an Indian name that he goes by among our family.
1: Mm. So you're saying that Tabitha Dorcas may have been a dual citizen of sorts?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say for a fact. And of course, dual citizenship has legal definitions in our modern mm, world. Mm-hmm. But there's something like that that's being communicated even in her dual naming right here. So um, it certainly helps us see that Tabitha lives along a border with an identity that straddles cultures as did many Jewish people of this time.
1: Right. We see this phenomenon of dual naming throughout the Bible, and it's a reminder that these texts were written by Jewish men and women navigating the realities of imperial domination. So like Joseph and Daniel and Esther, they all receive second names.
0: Right, exactly. And I'm I'm glad we're able to draw from our Hebrew Bible in this too. (laughs) We learn something important about the larger world of Acts, the New Testaments, and this character through her multiple names. But we also learn other important details in this first verse. So verse 36, she's explicitly named as a female disciple in the Greek, that's Mathetria. um, And she's living in the city of Joppa. And that's worth putting a little bit of comment on. So Hmm. Joppa was an ancient port city on the Mediterranean coast in what's now the southern part of Tel Aviv. This was also the port, famously, to Mm -hmm. which Jonah came when he was fleeing from the Lord to Tarshish. Uh, It's also the city during the construction of Solomon's temple, the first temple, um, in which cedars were floated from Phoenicia to Joppa and then transported to Jerusalem. Um, And again, the city appears in Ezra, chapter 3, verse 7, as the second temple was now being rebuilt after its destruction in 586 B.C., Joppa was the port of entry, again, for the cedars of Lebanon that were used in the reconstruction of the temple.
1: Mm, That's significant because it's showing that Tabitha lives in this kind of busy commercial center where there might be lots of different people from different places who are coming in and out on ships.
0: Right. So just being able to picture Joppa as a busy metropolitan area where we learn that this female disciple, Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, is renowned for her good works and acts of charity. And that's the actual phrase in Acts. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine she would have had plenty of chances to serve this way in Joppa among a diverse population with all kinds of acute needs.
1: Mm. Speaking of acute needs, the passage (laughs) focuses on her as somebody who's recently deceased.
0: Right. So the story tells us that she gets sick and that she dies. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's clear that this is a devastating moment for her communities. Um, they don't really know what to do. They wash her body. They lay her in a room upstairs, and instead of doing the normal kind of burial rites, they send two men for the Apostle Peter, who they know is about ten miles away in Lydda.
1: Huh? So she's clearly dead, and they know it. But instead of burying her, they send for Peter. What what good was that going to do? What What do you think they were hoping for with that?
0: Yeah, so I'm glad you asked. The three verses before our first reading provide us with some crucial context on why the community might have reached out to Peter. Mm. In Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 35, right before the story on Tabitha and Dorcas, Peter's in Lydda, and he heals a man named Aeneas, who had been paralyzed for eight years in the name of Jesus. That's how he heals him. The news gets around quickly, and by verse 35, Acts reports that the whole city comes to see this miraculous healing and believe. This news is likely what prompts the mourners in Joppa to send for Peter, who's not so far away, only about 10 miles.
1: Mm -hmm. So high hopes, and Peter just drops everything and goes, huh?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what this story seems to say. Peter uh, agrees and, and agrees to accompany these two men. And when he gets to Joppa, where Tabitha's body is laid out in an upper room, all the widows are there and they are mourning and weeping and showing him the clothes that Dorcas made for them. And it sounds like a really tragic scene for Peter to enter into, but it also gives us some sense of the kind of life that Tabitha lived. She was probably herself also a widow who had taken in other widows and ministered with them. Now, there's evidence um, in the New Testament that devout widowed women were organizing in this way early on for mutual care, protection, and service. So when a pillar of the community, as it appears Tabitha was uh, when she passes, it seemed to be a moment of profound loss for this community.
1: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense for why this community would be so eager for Peter's help. So, so what happens next?
0: Yeah, so Peter puts everyone outside, and he's alone with the body, uh, and then he kneels down and prays in the text. Now, it's important here to recognize that reviving the dead, although rare, is not uncommon within the biblical tradition, and we're going to pull from our our Hebrew Mm -hmm. Bible context here. The great prophets Elijah and Elisha, both of whom raised people from the dead, also send people out of the room right before the miracle happens. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And in Luke 7, Jesus raises the widow of Nain's son. And in Mark 5, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter, again, after he sends everyone but Peter, James, and John from the room.
1: Huh. So interesting. So somebody who knows the traditions of the Hebrew Bible and perhaps the traditions about Jesus might already be prepared for what's going to happen next.
0: Indeed. It seems as though um, the author or narrator here from Acts is drawing upon those traditions, right? So w- we might see the pattern as we're reading. So Peter turns to the body. And interestingly, he calls her by her Aramaic name, Tabitha, uh, not Dorcas, right? Mm. And he says, Tabitha, get up. In the Greek, that would be Tabitha anastathe. And the very interesting note for me is that in Aramaic, this would have been Tabitha kum, which has a distinct echo of Jesus's word in Mark 5, verse 41, when he uh, heals Jairus's daughter, mm-hmm. Talitha kum, is what he says there yeah, in the yeah. text.
1: That's what I was thinking too.
0: Yeah, there certainly seems to be echoes there, which makes me think about uh, who Ax was. the writer of Acts might have been drawing upon, what sources there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Tabitha sits up uh, in response to Peter's words, uh, and Peter helps her go out to greet the people outside who can see for themselves that she's alive, kind of in the demonstration pattern of Jesus at the beginning of Acts, where Jesus is shown to be alive to several communities. So the news spreads, and people everywhere believe in God as a result, and that is also a pattern in Acts where a miracle occurs, the news
1: spreads, and people everywhere believe. Uh, yeah, and this is such a dramatic one, too. So what what, uh, what sorts of preaching angles sort of present themselves to you from this story?
0: Yeah, for me, um, as I said, I was first touched by all the biographical detail that's invested in this story about a dead woman with two names who serves a community faithfully in the midst of what seemed to be her own troubles and her own story of perhaps being widowed as well. This story reminds me of the importance and value of small acts of service, right? Tabitha, Mm -hmm. also known as Dorcas, was important to the people of Joppa. She did what she could, and people seemed to love her for it. She wasn't as flashy or powerful as some of the other characters that we meet in Acts. She's probably a humble Jewish widow who came to follow the way of Jesus and served others in simple, straightforward ways. And I am reminded of the kinds of people in every congregation who are something like her. They're just steady. They're kind. They're generous. Um, They may not be looking for the podium for praise. They're, They're not the ones that are up front, but they're leaders nonetheless. And they often lead with the quiet goodness of their lives. For me, as I think about this age of social media, I am reminded of the righteousness and worth of small, often unseen acts Of faith and love.
1: That's a really helpful approach. I think I would probably take a sermon in that direction as well. As we do, though, are there any pitfalls that you wanted to highlight?
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, at least this story seems to lend itself pretty easily to preaching. Um, There's a a lot of uh, uh, sort of entryways that I see. Uh, but perhaps a potential pitfall I might highlight is, is treating Tabitha with sort of a sentimentality um, and failing perhaps to appreciate the richness of her life, which are detailed here um, mm-hmm. kind of carefully, right? So she's a named female disciple. And we might want to dwell on that. For our congregations, at least, who might not be aware of the mixed community. Um, and this seems to be clear evidence that we have a woman who's, who's rather prominent in the community, um, someone who also right. lived on a border as both Tabitha and Dorcas belonging to multiple communities. For me as a New Yorker, um, I think of this city of Joppa, an ancient port city. It reminds me of New York and the, that kind of context in which, uh, Tabitha or Dorcas might've been living in. She wasn't simple. Um, and, and that's what I keep coming back to. Uh, and I wouldn't want a preacher to kind of treat her just kind of, um, as a simple, happy story. It was her life. Um, And the witness of her life that drew Peter and the spirit of Jesus to rush to her side and bring her life back to the people who needed her. We don't always get happy ending stories like these in our own congregations, but, um, Tabitha's biography maybe deserves to be lingered over. She knew how to love people probably because she had also been the recipient of some great love. And that remains a part of her legacy. Mm. Um, and yeah, it touches me in this moment. Um, Anything you want to say on pitfalls, Tim?
1: Well, I'd, I'd say the only thing, other thing that stood out to me is with many miracle stories in the Bible, I'm always concerned that preachers don't make uh, too much or too little of the miraculous aspect of this. I don't think that preaching this, we should expect that any of the pillars of our own communities when they die should be resurrected immediately. <laughs> but on the other hand, this is a really important moment in this story. And I think. It's important to recognize the way that the author of Acts is using this dramatic moment in service of the the big picture of what God was doing in this particular moment of the inauguration of of the movement of Jesus in the world. So Hmm. yeah, I would just caution preachers, not to set expectations for particular types of healing and especially resurrections within your own community. That's not to say that that the miraculous never happens or that we shouldn't be expecting God to do extraordinary things even in our time, which I believe God still does.
0: Yeah, I think that's really helpful.
1: Well, thanks so much, Rosie, for giving us some insight into this New Testament text. Way to dig into your Hebrew Bible roots to find some resonances there. And uh, that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode. Remember, friends, that all of our episodes are over at our website, firstreadingpodcast.com, along with all sorts of other resources. Well, some sorts of other resources. If you're on Facebook, you can find us there, and you can give us some feedback in the comments uh, for the posts about our episodes. A special thank you to those who generously choose to donate to keep First Reading sustainable. Thanks also to Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capitol University for a grant that helps us out so much. And, of course... Thanks to all of you for listening. Until next time, I'm Tim McNinch.
0: And I'm Rosie Candethel. Have a good week.